right. Hello and welcome to the good old days of radio show. This is John Tefteller, your host. We are rolling through a tribute to Arch Obler. We've had some episodes of Lights Out. We've had Johnny Got His Gun, the Dalton Trumbull story with Jimmy Cagney. And this time, we're going to have a look at the lighter side of Arch Obler. And we have a special guest. We have someone here uh, on the phone who actually appeared in programs with Arch Obler back in the 1940s. Uh, his name is Tommy Cook. He is, um, I guess, most well-known uh, from radio for his work with Arch Obler and also as the character Little Beaver in the Red Rider radio program. He did a lot of film work, including Kimba the Leopard Boy and Tarzan. Tarzan and the Leopard Woman, I guess, is the name of the film. And um, quite a few other things like that. Tommy Cook, welcome to the good old days of radio show. Oh, thank you, John. It's nice being with you. Great. Okay, so tell us a little bit about how you got into radio, how you got started, and um, some of your experiences, and then we'll f zero in a little bit on Arch Obler and the particular show we're going to hear today. All right, my pleasure. Well, it all started, um, I was born in Duluth, Minnesota, and um, I had wonderful parents. Uh, my father was a Harvard graduate. My mother graduated from two universities in occupational therapy. Anyway, um, I don't have much memory when I lived back in Minnesota, but they tell me that I used to, uh, at Rotary Club meetings, I used to get up on the table and start dancing and singing around and making a fool of myself. And then um, on my father's side, I would dress up funny, funny clothes and try to entertain his mother. So um, my dad got very sick, unfortunately, with a kidney disease. Uh, and uh, that's when we decided to come to uh, California. So my dad, uh, being sick, couldn't drive, and he took the train, and um, my mother and I and my grandmother and my sister, we hired uh, someone to uh, drive us. And in um, Van Horn, Texas, we had a bad accident. Our driver fell asleep, and the driver in the other car was drunk, head-on crash. I was sitting on my mother's lap and hit my head right in the window of the car. I do remember they're putting us all in an ambulance uh, in Van Horn. I was on the floor of the ambulance driving us to El Paso to have surgery. Nobody was killed, but uh, I was all cut up, and uh, along with my sister and mother and grandmother. When we arrived in California, my mother thought I might have some talent, and um, she uh, took me to the famous Pasadena Playhouse, where I auditioned for a play, and I got it. It's called Peter Goes to the Fair, directed by Betty Smith. And I stayed at the um, Pasadena Playhouse for a little over a year, and I did seven plays there at their various theaters, main stage, laboratory stage, wonderful experience and working with some top actors that I uh, eventually worked with in radio and television and films. Anyway, 
my mother sees an article in a magazine about a free audition at NBC Studios, the great NBC Sunset and Vine in Hollywood. And so um, she fills it out and sends it in, and they call me, and I go in, and they take my voice. Two weeks later, I get a call back. Please come back to NBC and audition for Arch Obler. So I go there. I'm about eight years old now. And uh, the part calls for a little German boy. And I don't know where I got it, but I could play this little German boy. And so I got the role. It was in every man's theater. And the show starred Ala Nazimova, the great Russian actress. So uh, after the show, Arch comes out, he thanks everybody. And he says, you know, I got to go to Chicago next week. Got to do a show uh, with this young Dickie Hyland. He's a nice actor, but I, <laughs> I just don't want to go to Chicago. So Ala Nazimova whispers into Arch's ear, and says, if you don't want to go to Chicago, take a chance on this little Tommy Cook. So next week, I star in Problem Papa, an episode on Every Man's Theater on NBC. Howard Duff plays my father. The great Mercedes McCambridge plays the leading gal in the show. And, of course, Gordon Jenkins, the award-winning uh, music man, Gordon Jenkins, doing all the music for Arch Obler. And that's how it all started. And I became then sort of Arch Obler's stock company. He had the greatest stock company. Everyone from Elliot Lewis, who could do it all, to Hans Conried, Lorene Tuttle, Mary Jane Croft, Lou Merrill, uh, you know, just... The, the greatest and um, my most poignant memories are with Arch Obler in Every Man's Theater and then Plays for Americans that Arch wrote and produced and directed at NBC right during the end of the uh, Second World War. I'll be quiet. Let you go ahead, John. Well, just a couple questions then. We'll switch the order here. We were originally going to do My Chicago first, but since you're talking about Problem Papa and it is a little bit earlier than the other one, we'll do Problem Papa in a minute. But um, there have been <laughs> various things written about Mr. Obler. I, I met him years ago and knew him a little bit as well, but that was basically in the late 70s and early 80s when I was still, yeah. li still living in Southern California. And I found him to be quite quite interesting, very, very kind of strange on one level, but with a very wicked sense of humor. Um, yeah. Other people have said on the record that he was extraordinarily difficult to work with. What was your experience? It seems like it's not that, but let's... No, no. Well, um, my experience with Art Schobler was, uh, was just marvelous. My mother became sort of close to him. Art Schobler used to always wear a certain leather jacket. And I remember once my mother got bought a, that same kind of jacket and gave it to uh, Art Schobler. But he was totally 
totally respected. Major stars from motion pictures like Marlena Dietrich and people like that would always come on and do a show with Arch Obler when he asked for their appearances. And um, as I say, with his stock company, uh, totally respected. However, he did have his skirmishes with uh, certain actors. I'll always remember with Lou Merrill during one rehearsal for um, Everyman's Theater. I'm on the show, obviously, and Lou Merrill. And there's a break. And I walk through the stairs between the, um, the stage and the director's room. And there was Arch Obler and Lou Merrill having words. I walk right up to them, and all of a sudden, Lou Merrill picks up Arch Obler and picks him up and turns him upside down. <laughs> I look at this, you know, I'm eight or nine years old. What is this? But then we end up doing the show, and everybody, uh, there was never, never a problem. Let me go back and say this. The three greatest writer producer directors in the golden days of radio of course orson wells uh the poet laureate of radio norman corwin who i did a lot of shows for and arch obler so um they were the best and uh they were all respected arch's stock company that worked with him on all his shows i never saw anything that was um, out of line really, except for that thing with Lou Merrill. Uh, Arch, I guess, was um, strange in some ways, but with me, it was just a joyous uh, union. And one of the reasons, of course, is that nobody could write dialogue for a child actor like uh, Arch Obler. And Obler used to say to the press, and even to my mother once, if I might say so, he said, you know, Mrs. Cook, your child can give more freshness and, and free expression to a role than any young actor, actor I've ever worked with. And Arch would never let me take a script home. We would read it around once or twice and then break and uh, come back the next day and for the dress rehearsal and going on the air. But he wouldn't let me take his script home. He was afraid that uh, I would start fooling around with the character and uh, people would try to tell me how to uh, play the particular character. But Arch, the way he could write for me was like it was, it was me. It was me. I wasn't acting. I was I was that little kid that Arch wrote about. His dialogue and everything was uh, as good as every, anything that I've ever been uh, attached to. With Norman Corwin, I do recall one show that I starred in, and he directed it too. Uh, was called My Client Curly. Oh, I know and that one. Was, do you know that one? Sure, it's about the little yeah. caterpillar. Little Caterpillar, yeah, what an adorable story. He starts dancing when I play the harmonica, I guess. And uh, what a joy that was. 
but um, there was nobody like uh, Arch Obler. Well, I think we should go to the Problem Papa show. This originally aired on March 7th, 1941 on the Everyman's Theater. Um, before we play it, is there anything you want to say about it to kind of set it up for the listeners? Right. Well, I was, uh, I guess, 11 years old uh, when I did that. And um, I was just a young, innocent kid. I think that um, I was so short that, that uh, they had to have a little stool for me to stand on to reach the mic. But, um, uh, you know, it was just natural for me. It was just I had this script and this little character. It, it, it was me, and uh, there was nothing else. That's it. I just enjoyed being that little kid. Okay. Well, now we're going to let everyone else who's never heard this before enjoy it along with us. So we're going to play it. You can listen to it along with me, and then we'll talk about it a little bit at the end. All right? Right, that was with uh, Mercedes McCambridge, Howard Duff. I remember Jerry Hausner was also in that show. and um, But it was uh, working with those actors was uh, a total privilege. All right, well, here is the show Problem Papa from Arch Obler's Everyman's Theater, March 7th, 1941. And Tommy and I will be back to talk more about it after you hear it. So here we go. Everyman's Theater, written and created by Arch Obler. Procter & Gamble, the makers of new high-test Oxidol, welcome you to another program of unusual dramatic entertainment written especially for radio by Arch Obler. Tonight our play is Arch Obler's Problem Papa, based on a suggestion by J.P. McAvoy and featuring a rising young star, the very young Tommy Cook. Jim, before we get into tonight's play, how about that suggestion you said you had for the ladies? You know, the one based on the old proverb, save your pennies and your dollars will take care of themselves. All right, Frank, because while it's a very simple suggestion, it really pays out. And it all boils down to this. When you buy laundry soap, instead of just looking for the soap that's the lowest priced, insist on the one that costs the least to use, the one that goes the farthest, and then see if your pennies don't pile up fast. I mean, well, you take Oxidol, for instance. Oxidol can often save you a great deal on your laundry soap bills, as much as one-fourth in some cases. Yes, Oxidol can turn you out the sweetest, whitest washes you could want, yet save you up to one-fourth on soap. And why? Why, simply because, besides the fact that Oxidol is now selling at the lowest prices in years, Oxidol costs so little to use, goes so far in the bargain. Simply because Oxidol gives you quantities more suds, ounce for ounce, than soap after soap after soap on the market today, and suds that last much longer, and suds that stand up right through your wash. No need to be building more suds all the time. No need to be pouring out more soap and money that way. So, well, that's my suggestion for saving pennies and dollars in the long run. Let Oxidol save them for you. 
And now, Arch Oberler to introduce our play, Problem Papa. When you're very young, the world hasn't any problems. You have. And when the problem is one's a papa, mm-mm. Stephen Atwater Stewart, will you please tell me what you're doing? Taking a bath. Obviously, but why? Don't you feel well? Oh, I feel wonderful. Stop splashing. True, Pop. Soap? Stevie, you do feel all right? Sure, Pop. Oh, boy. What's the old boy for? Just old boy. Stevie, Stevie! Stevie! You want something, Pop? I want you to get out of that tub before you float the house away. Come on, come on. Sure, Pop. Docileness, cleanliness. Stevie, have you broken anything today? Will you hand me that other towel, Pop? Yes, yes, here you are. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, this is too much. Look at my muscle, Pop. No, I'd rather look at your conscience. Will you please tell me what you've been up to? Great day, Pop. What do you mean, great day? That's what you say. I say it when I have a reason. I got a reason. Listen, son. Even the draft board thinks I'm a weary old man. Now, why should you be different? Bear with me, please. Tell me what this is all about. Pop, I'm in a hurry. Stevie, stand still. You're in a hurry for what? What are you up to? What's happening this morning? Pop, don't you remember nothing? Stevie, boy, I've endured a great deal these last few years. I've been banged in the head by the stock market and banged in the stomach by the newspaper headlines and emotionally pulled and twisted apart by world events to the extent that I'm not quite the man I used to be. So please, son, bear with my weakened condition. In words of one syllable, will you tell me what this is all about? But I've been trying to tell you. Great day. Don't you remember you told me? It'll be a great day in the morning when you get your new bicycle. Oh. And you forgot. <laughs> Want to give me the real money or just the check, Pop? Well, uh... Oh, I gotta hurry, Pop. Mr. Buckmaster opens the store 9 o'clock sharp. He said the first delivery, he'd get it. All I need's the money. Slip the Audi to me, Padre. Mm. Sit down. But I've got to... Sit down. Okay. So you're on your way to get the new bicycle. Oh, don't answer. The question's purely rhetorical. That means, unless otherwise indicated, I give the questions and the answers. Yes, the great day you've been looking forward to for a long, long time. A new bicycle with streamlining. And handlebar brakes. Mm -hmm. And if I remember correctly, a gear shift. That's right, Pop. Son, you're not going to get that bicycle. Huh? No bicycle. And you know why. Mm, no. I'll tell you. In fact, I can tell you quite concisely. Here, have it all written down in my notebook. Let me see. Here we are. Quite a page full. Item A, our agreement. For 90 days, you were to perform certain important functions around this household. To wit... Gosh, Pop. To wit, item, remove garbage before leaving for school and upon returning from school. Item, to leave no discarded clothes strewn around rooms. Item, snow to be removed within shortest possible time after said snow ceases falling. Am I boring you, son? 
No, on the contrary, I'm boring myself. I've known all these items for the last 90 days, and I took it for granted you knew them too. But uh, here's something that undoubtedly you don't know. How well you carried out your bargain in these 90 days. Item. Garbage removal. Four times in the 90 days. Those four times, incidentally, the four days immediately following our agreement. Item. Clothes and room neatness. Mrs. Brown tells me that your room has looked like a blitzkrieg in a second-hand store constantly in these 90 days. Item. Snow. But why go on? Stevie, you failed completely to live up to your side of the agreement, so I can't very well go through with my side of the arrangement. Well? Nothing to say? You're not going to give me the money, and I can't go to Buckmaster's and get my bicycle right away? It's the way it looks from here. For days after we made our agreement, I warned you. You failed to pay any attention to that warning. Stevie, now this is a world where internationally, that's between nations, apparently there's no such thing as truth and honor and keeping one's obligations. Now that makes it all the more important that between two human beings there be complete integrity. That is to say, absolute honesty in doing exactly what one promised to do. Now you promised to give certain services and in return you get a certain payment. You fail to keep your promise, and so I can't pay you. No bicycle. No bicycle. Sorry, son. If you regret the unnecessary bath you took, you can go right back and take the dirt you left in a ring around the tub and put it back where it came from. See you later. I'll never do nothing, never. What'd you say? Nothing, never. <laughs> Hey, kid. Yeah? Are you sure you know where your pa sent you? Yeah. Okay. Sure is out of my territory. I ain't had a fare out this far since that drunk got lost on New Year's. Hey, you see what that meter says, kid? $3.10 so far. I had to pay for it. You're it? Hey, wait a minute. Who said your grandma before? Well, I made a mistake. Son of a gun. And I didn't think anybody could do it to me. Okay, where do you live? Why? Because I want to paint your house. Because I want to make a call on your mama. You haven't got a mama. All right, your pop. Where do you live? Uh, 4,334 China. 4,334 what? 4,334 China. China, huh? Where's that? Right next door to Japan. Son of a God, I did it again. Okay, quiz kid, I'm taking you to the police station and have them throw you in a clink for the rest of your life. I'll count three. One, two... Here. Dough. So help me. Give me. Let me see. 75, 85, buck and a half, two, 221, 235, 250, 265. Hey, that ain't enough. So I got. Okay, okay. Come on, I'll drive you back. No, I'm getting out here. Hey, wait a minute, kid. It's the middle of nowhere. Wait, listen, kid, I'll drive you back. Go away. I live here. Oh, oh, you mean one of those farms? Well, why didn't you tell me? Okay, Stinky, I'll be seeing you. Don't want nothing from nobody. All right. Now, what are you? A frog or a toad? Well, say something. 
Think I got 4,000 years or something to ask you questions? What do you live? Don't give me that kind of stuff. Listen here, Mr. Frog. Are you going to talk or do I have to take you to the coppers? So you won't talk, huh? Okay, find me some water and I'll find out. If you swim, you're a frog. And if I get water, you're a toad. Let's go! Walk straight down old Dusty Road and gotta come to water. Hear that, Mr. Frog? Gotta walk! Oh, bicycle. Never going back. You and me both. You know what I'm going to do, Mr. Frog. Going to make a lot of money or something and go back over to Mr. Buckmaster's place and give him the money and get ten and get a hundred bicycles. Hello, Mr. Buckmaster. Give me a hundred bikes. I'll pay for them myself. Give me two hundred. You'll be sorry shoving me around. All the fellas say, where's your new bike? Where's your new bike? Pop. Wish I was you, old frog. Never had a pot, did you? Hey, look! A regular pond! A regular old pond! Oh, boy! Oh, boy! Come on! Just an old toad, aren't you? Don't like water one little bit, do you? Okay, Mr. Toad, climb up in my hand. Ain't gonna drown ya. Drown ya off. Get my handkerchief. Yes, there ya are, drown ya off. Now stop wiggling! Okay, back you go in my pocket. Think I'll sit me down. Sure don't like walking. Uh, bicycle. Oh, gosh. I wish I was a kite. Go sailing way up, sit in the edge of a cloud and spit in their eye. Gee, stop wiggling now, old Tom. Go to sleep. Aren't you tired? I'm tired. Never gone back. I always shot. Gee, why? I don't move garbage, I don't move snow, I don't move clothes, I don't move garbage. Gloves in my hands. Got to fight. Fight who? Get in there and fight. 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 But who will I fight? Fight me. Fight me. Fight me. Fight me. Fight me. Fight me. There's two of you. You're the fighter too. Fight me. Fight me. 
Get in there and fight. Fight me. Fight no, me. Pop. Get in there and can't fight. Fight you. Fight me. Can't fight, fight you. Can't fight you. I gotta wake fight up. Me. Can't fight, fight you, Pop. Fight no, me. I can't fight, fight you. Fight I can't me. fight you. Fight me. No, I can't fight, fight me. me. So we come to our very brief intermission in Everyman's Theater and our play, Problem Papa, starring young Mr. Tommy Cook. While we're waiting for the second part of our play to begin, let's see if Jim Bannon wouldn't like to add a word to what he's already said. How about it, Jim? Well, Frank, I would like to say a word more about the results Oxidol gives you. Because anxious as we all are to save money, results come first on wash day. Even a mere man knows that, so let's take a quick look at the facts on how white Oxidol washes. And lady, if you think your present soap washes white enough, these facts are worth considering because, well, here's how white Oxidol washes. Shades whiter than soap after soap we've washed clothes with. So much whiter you can spot the difference at a glance. As much as 9 to 11 tintometer shades whiter, actually. And safely, too, remember. With real safety for both washable colors and hands. And now, back to our play, Problem Papa. The small boy Stevie still lies dreaming by the water's edge. I don't move garbage. I don't move snow. I don't move clothes. I don't move garbage. Bicycle, 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 bicycle. like me, who could front wheel and brakes. Uh, I mean, we can stop. It's good exercise. Silence! People of our great state, listen to your dictator. I'm about to make an example of the enemy of the state. Bend over my knee. Oh, no. Bend over my knee. Oh, no. Don't lick me, mister. Oh, gosh. Bend over my knee. Pop, it's you. You're not a dictator. You're just Pop! Bend over my knee! Oh, no, Pop! Come here! No! One! Oh! Two! Oh, Pop, no! Three! Don't let me go! Four! Five! Seven! Eight! No bicycle, no bicycle, no bicycle, no bicycle, no bicycle, no bicycle. Gee! I'm on a bicycle! No bicycle! 
on wheel brakes and spotlights and horns. Wee! Faster! I'll go faster. I got my bicycle. I got my bicycle. What? Oh, gosh, it's Pop chasing me. Oh, no. No faster. Go faster. No, no, it's my bike. Get away from me. Faster. Oh, gosh. A hill. I can't stop. Creeks won't work. The ocean. The whole ocean down there. Get out of here. Something kicking. Uh, uh, Mr. Toad in my pocket. All right, all right. Come on now. Gee, haven't I got troubles enough without you kicking? Bad dreaming. Now it's raining and I'm hungry. And gosh, Mr. Toad, don't little kids have big troubles? Well, young man, what can I do for you? Something to eat. What? What did you say? Something to eat. This is a restaurant, ain't it? I mean, isn't it? Well, there are two schools of thought on that. Don't you want to sit up on a counter stool? Okay. Where were you in all that rain we had a little while back? Under a mushroom. Oh. Well, that's a very convenient place to be. I want something to eat. Oh, yes. Oh, what do you have? Double chocolate sundae with whipped cream and nuts and cookies and three scoops of ice cream and chocolate and chop suey. Is that all? What do toads eat? Toads? Why? Oh, I, I got one. Here. Oh. Oh, he won't hurt you. Just give you nice words. I suppose on me they'd look good. Huh? Look, would you mind just sort of making him disappear? Okay. Get him back in my pocket, Mr. Toad. Oh, lady, how about the grub? I'm awful hungry. Yes. Now, um, supposing we start off with a nice bowl of vegetable soup. Chocolate sundae. And then a nice salad. Chocolate sundae. And then a nice beef sandwich with a glass of milk. Chocolate sundae. Son, you don't have to shout. I heard you very distinctly. You want a nice bowl of vegetable soup. Gosh. So I says to him, you're not scaring me, uh, mister, and um. He says to me, I'll report this to my government. And I says, okay, go ahead and, and turn in your report card, but you're not scaring us because we got armed in and, and dive bombers and, and we can throw uh, uh, hand grenades better because we know how to play uh, uh, play baseball. And, and that's all because you run away. My, oh, my. You G-men certainly live interesting lives, don't you? Can I have some more cake? I'll finish what you're eating first. Yes, sir, what an adventurous life you lead. Let me think. 
In the last half hour, you saved a squadron of airplanes from destruction. Yep. And you prevented four bridges from being blown up. Yep. And you personally overcame three spies, two of them very blonde and very beautiful. Oh, it was nothing. Tell me, what do you do in your spare time? Oh, I gotta go. No, no, wait. You said you wanted some more cake. Well, I, I don't want any more. I gotta go. Oh, well, wait a minute. You can't go yet. You've forgotten something. Huh? The little matter of 50 cents plus sales tax. Remember? For your meal. How much? 52 cents. Exactly. Well, I haven't got that much. Really? Well, how much have you? Nothing. But but you can have my tool. Can I go now, lady? No, no, I'm afraid not. First, I'm going to read your fortune. Huh? Yep. Going to read your fortune out of the bottom of your soup bowl. I'm clairvoyant. You know what that means? Uh-uh. It means I can look in a soup bowl, coffee pot, or even a soda bottle and tell your fortune. You can't. All right, then you listen. Your name is Stephen Stewart, and you live at 1443 Maple Avenue, right? Gosh. And your mother's not living, and you live with your father, and his name is John Stewart. And this morning, you had a little misunderstanding, and so you decided to run away from home, right? Gosh. And that isn't all. Looking deeper into the soup bowl, I see that, yes, that you need some first-hand practical lessons in give and take. You gotta begin to understand that when you wanna take a little, you gotta give a little. Maybe if you were a little older and could read the newspapers and foreign news, that'd give you a laugh, but, well, all I can do is give you the facts of the case as I see it. This, Stephen Stewart, is a political economy. That is to say, a country where in order to have, you gotta work. It doesn't average out exactly right a lot of times, but eventually it can work out right. If you work, you have. And if you don't work, you don't have. All right, now you've had soup, salad, sandwich, ice cream, and cake to the sum of 50 cents. It's like a seesaw. All you've eaten is on one side of the seesaw, and you're up on the other. Well, it's your turn now. Over there. You see what I'm pointing at? Gosh. Could I help you? Is this the place? My, my son, uh, the police said... Oh, are you Mr. Stewart? Yes. Is he all right? Is he all right? Yes, quite. Oh, why do you look at me like that? How did you know of where... It's quite simple. A boy alone this far out. I just called the city police and asked if any boy answering to his description had been reported missing. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Where is he? Believe me, Mr. Stewart, he's all right. But right now, he's on the other side of the seesaw, and I don't think he should be disturbed. Seesaw? What? Well, you see, your son obligates himself... And then he doesn't follow through with his obligations. Yeah, you're telling me. That's what started all this. Yeah, so I understand. In this case, it's a matter of a meal. He's out in the kitchen working it off. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, Miss... Uh... Miss Jennings. Joan Jennings. Miss Jennings, you're a very understanding woman. May I shake your hand? Why not? <laughs> oh, hi, that's Steve. Oh, we better go see. Right. 
washing dishes. So help me washing dishes. Miss Jennings, you're a wonder. Hi, Pop. Hi, son. What are you doing? Uh, just kind of drying dishes. And I haven't broken... Stevie. It's all right, Pop. Huh? Now I forgive you for all the trouble you've caused me today. In just a moment, Mr. Obler will be back with news about next week's play. Easily the most unusual broadcast of this entire series. Meanwhile, just a quick reminder of the many sources of satisfaction Oxidol has to offer you Monday. The satisfaction of knowing you're using a really economical laundry soap for one thing. The satisfaction of turning out washes so crisp and white and sweet-smelling they'll be the envy of the neighborhood for another. And something I haven't touched on before. The satisfaction that you won't be bothered by a lot of irritating soap dust. That you won't have clouds of soapy particles getting into your nose and throat to make you sneeze and choke. For remember, every package of Oxidol, every ounce of it, is especially processed to prevent that sort of discomfort. So tomorrow, when you buy laundry soap, make it Oxidol, won't you? You'll find it a real blessing Monday. And now, Arch Obler. Tonight with us were Tommy Cook with Howard Duff, Mercedes McCambridge, and Jerry Hausner. Music, Gordon Jenkins. Next week, a story and a star I'm really pleased to tell you about. The play was the story of a man so ugly that... But the title tells the story, The Ugliest Man in the World. The star, radio's own outstanding character juvenile, Raymond Edward Johnson, with Ann Shepard and Betty Kane. There's a plane waiting New York bound, so until next week, then... Yes, be back with us next week at this same time when Everyman's Theater presents Arch Obler's very unusual radio play, The Ugliest Man in the World. Thank you, and good night. Everyman's Theater, written and created by Arch Obler. Remember Oxidol for dazzling white washes with real economy, Monday. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Well, that definitely was the lighter side of Arch Obler. No uh, gruesome murders or weird monsters or anything like he did on Lights Out, but still a very interesting and well-written play. And uh, the star there... They called him the rising young star. Mr. Tommy Cook is with us here on the good old days of radio show. 
Are you still there, Tommy? Oh, I'm here. I'm, I got tears in my eyes. This is good old days. He announces Jim Bannon and Frank Martin. God, I remember them. Jim Bannon ended up playing Red Ryder in one of the television films. And, uh, of course, I, in 1940, I uh, was the original Little Beaver in the Adventures of Red Ryder 12-episode serial at uh, Republic Studios. So uh, such memories with uh, Mercedes. She was Arch's favorite actress. And uh, I had so much fun with Mercedes. We did a show together, I Love a Mystery, written by, uh, of course, the great Carlton E. Morris. And we, uh, as I say, we start in the show, and she was on one side of the mic, and I was on the other side of the same mic, and we go on the air, and I turn the page. It's the wrong page. Somehow, Mercedes' nose comes around to my side, of the mic, puts the, her script in front of me, and for the rest of the show, we worked off of her script. Uh, that's what she did in the good old radio days. Uh, I love Mercedes. And uh, she was, my mother was close to her. Mercedes, when she was very young, had a slight drinking problem, and my mother tried to help her. When my dad got very sick, my mother took up Christian science, the key to the scripture by what Mary Baker Eddy, and she tried to console to a degree uh, with Mercedes McCambridge. But I, uh, I like to be in that long hallway at NBC, Red Skelton Show in Studio D, Bing Crosby Studio B, Charlie McCarthy. Oh, gosh. Even the days with Al Jolson. Remember the Al Jolson film? Uh, Scotty Beckett played Al Jolson as a child in the film. He was an old friend of mine. But then for the Lux Radio Theater, I did 21 Lux Radio Theaters. We did the, the, uh, the Jolson story. And I played Al Jolson as a boy. Oh, gosh. That was uh, the, the Lex Radio Theater was not shown at an NBC or CBS studio. It was shown at an actual theater on Vine Street. And uh, I'll always remember after the show, L. Joseph came over to me, as you know, the greatest entertainer of all time. He said, hey, Mr. Cook, you know, I like you. I like working with you. I want to do something for you. And then he took off and went to, uh, what was it, Vietnam to entertain the troops, came back, and he died. But can you imagine those days? You're making me relive them, John. And I'm, I'm uh, full of emotion. Well, good. Do you know which uh, story, I Love a Mystery, you were doing opposite Mercedes McCambridge? Do you know what the show was? I I can't um, can't tell you. Was this in the Hollywood run 
um, in the 40s because uh, they revived it later and Mercedes McCambridge was on that as well uh, in 1949. But I believe those shows came from New York. So you must have been in the Hollywood. No, run. no, it, it, it was done in Hollywood. Okay, uh, yeah. that that was the, yeah. the, the Hollywood run then from NBC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow, that, that's, that's good stuff. Can, can you describe for our listeners the process of creating a radio show from the time you're handed the, the script for the first time until you go on the air? What, what, I, I, I kind of know, but I want you to tell our listeners how that came about. Well, um, my mother and uh, father would drive me to uh, NBC. I would go in there and they would uh, give me the script and I would sit in a chair uh, outside of the uh, of the studio and uh, mark my script, mark my scenes and my character, and then they would uh, call us in uh, for the first rehearsal. And we would, um, I'm trying to think whether we would sit around a table first or whether we would, um, uh, for the first reading, we would actually be on a mic. I can't recall that. But we rehearsed it um, a couple of times, and then um, uh, that would be it. And it would come back the next day and do the dress rehearsal and then just go right on the air. It was just just fun for okay, me. So you, so you had at least one read-through, and then yep. you had a rehearsal, and yep. then you had a dress rehearsal. And yep. then you actually did the program. So there were yes. multiple yep. readings of the same yep. script. And yes. I know yes. that some shows did it around a table with the actors sitting around the table. Yes. You may or yes. may not have done that, but that was yep. the way they did that. Um, yep. Do you, I mean, you were like, in this show, you were 11 years old. Do you recall being um, nervous or uncomfortable doing this? Or did it, did it come to you really naturally? Naturally. Naturally, good. Uh, it was the gift, gift that my parents gave me. And, yeah, well, you come uh, across great on the show. It, it doesn't sound like acting, which is the way it's supposed no, to be. No, no, not with Arch. It was just, uh, uh, it just became that character. And, of course, the people on the show, uh, the greatest radio actors, I mean, I keep going back to Elliot and Lewis and uh, Hans Conried and... Uh, Lorene Tuttle, Mary Jane Croft, Byron Kane. Ah, gosh. And we worked, I worked with them every week or so, you know, when I, then when I was doing three shows every week, the Blondie radio show where I played little Alexander Bumstead with Penny Singleton and Arthur Lake, that was at CBS down a couple of blocks at Sunset and Gower across the street from Columbia Studios. And then I was doing um, The Life of Riley with William Bendix. That was at NBC in front of an audience. And then, of course, in Studio H at NBC, The Adventures of Red Rider. That was actually an ABC show, but ABC did not have studios in those days. They had offices, but not studios. So we did the Red Rider radio show uh, in Studio H, without an audience, of course, Tuesday, Thursdays, and and Saturdays, and uh, every time we would have a break, I would sneak out and go up and down the hallway and sneak in and watch, uh, you know, Pepper McGee and Molly, 
or uh, Red Skelton or the Bing Crosby show, the Abbott and Costello show, you know, running up and down. Uh, what a life that was. And then my folks would uh, pick me up after the show. And uh, I know driving home that I I gave my parents a lot of lot of happiness, a lot of happiness. Did you know while you were doing all this that these these shows were being recorded? Well, when you say recorded, I that really didn't come to me except to let you know and your audience that in those days you would do a show late in the afternoon for the east and you would come back in the evening and do the same show for the West Coast. Yeah. I just wondered if you were aware that they were running uh, 16-inch transcription recordings on all these programs while, uh, you, while uh, you were doing them. No, I, I had no knowledge okay. of any of that happening all at right. my well, age. Well, they did. The problem is a whole lot of those transcription discs got thrown away because they yeah. didn't think anyone would ever want to hear them again or they would ever be right. played again. So a lot of it's right. gone. The only reason we have the one we just listened to and a few other things with you on it is because somebody somewhere didn't throw them away and so they right. exist. And you can yep. hear the little surface scratches in the recordings, but they, they, sure. they were being done live. Don't, don't let me think, have the audience think something different. Everything was live. It was not pre-recorded, but they did have recording equipment at NBC and CBS and all that, and they would make copies onto 16-inch yep. transcriptions of the programs for the sponsor, for anybody who wanted to pay to have one. Sometimes the yep. act actors receive them and all that. Okay. Well, we're going to we're going to wrap up the good old days of radio show for now. We'll be back next week with Tommy Cook and we're going to hear another program that he appeared on uh for Arch Obler. So, thank you Tommy for your uh being here this week. <laughs> we have phones ringing in the background here that I can't shut off. So, anyway, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, I enjoyed it. So, uh, thank you. All right, you've listened to Every Man's Theater, Problem Papa, from March 7th, 1941. This is John Tefteller and the Good Old Days of Radio Show with our special guest today, Mr. Tommy Cook, who appears uh, in this show and also next week's show, My Chicago, another of Arch Obler's plays. This is the lighter side of Arch Obler, not the, uh, the gruesome uh, horror shows of Lights Out, but the more uh, lighter side of Mr. Obler and Mr. Tommy Cook as his star in this show. But until next Tuesday for another, another date with Tommy Cook, this is John Tefteller in the good old days of radio show saying goodbye. Goodbye.